I was at one of my daughter's soccer tournaments a couple of weeks ago. The outside back is, you know, totally in the wrong position. She's way too far away from the center backs, but the coach is shouting from the sidelines, stay connected, stay connected. I'm sure he thinks that that phrase is really clear. I am sure that the player had absolutely no idea what he meant by stay connected. So in this case, like he's telling her to do something that she doesn't, she has to know it intuitively. Like she has to know it without thinking about it to, to be able to do it for it to be helpful to her. I'm sure that she didn't. So in addition to it, not solving the problem now, she's like trying to think about what this means and trying to listen to the coach. And, um, and I think it made the disaster worse. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to share another bonus episode with you. This episode consists of a Q&A, then a film review that Doug Lamov did with one of the book clubs I've been running, covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching. I skipped over the preview of the book club in this bonus episode, and I'm going straight into the Q&A with Doug. If you want a preview of what the book clubs are like, check out bonus episodes 2 and 3. And I'm currently running the third round of book clubs, and the fourth round is to be determined. If you want to be the first to have a chance to sign up for the next round of book clubs, go to cgtbookclubs.com or click the link in the show details to join the waitlist for the next round. I am, however, about to run my second cohort starting November 3rd. The cohort is six weeks long and will meet Wednesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. To learn more about what the cohort entails and to see what other coaches from the first cohort have had to say about their experience, go to transformsport.org cohorts or just click the link in the show details. One quick note about the film review part of this episode. I did my best to make it easy to listen to, but it's not perfect, as it's a recording of me sharing my screen and audio via Zoom. But if you'd like to watch the film clip of Coach Jeff's practice that we discuss in this episode, just click the link in the show details. Obviously, watching the film that we discuss will bring more clarity to the thoughts we share, but even if you don't watch the film, the discussion will still be beneficial. A huge thanks to Coach Jeff for sharing his practice film with us and letting us review it together and provide him with some feedback. Now let's get into it. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Doug, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Luke. Awesome. Thanks for for hopping on. We appreciate it a ton. Um, Real quick, um, let's just quickly introduce ourselves just so Doug knows who you are and what you coach. Uh, coach Chris, I'll introduce you. I know you're uh, driving right now or, or can't, can't talk right now, but um, Chris is a basketball coach um, and I believe he lives in Connecticut. I know he's in the Northeast too, uh, but uh, coaches basketball um, actually I believe he's in the job hunt for um, a girl's middle school job. Scott, you want to introduce yourself next? Sure thing. Hi, Doug. Uh, Scott, this a coach cross country track and uh, basketball in Michigan. Fantastic. Uh, interested to hear whether <laughs> uh, whether the book makes sense from a cross country and track perspective. So much of it is about invasion games, but yeah, I'm oh, an elementary yeah. PE teacher, so okay. I, I transferred over to that. But yeah, I'm ready to pick your brain on the individualized. Just uh, part of the sports. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. Uh, hey, Doug. Jeff, you were really appreciate you making time. I uh, am a uh, varsity basketball coach at, uh, in a public high school outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And I actually, uh, I first read your book in the spring after our season ended, and I had like twenty-seven pages of notes that I made myself get down to like a one page cheat sheet. And I also made a note to myself, like I had to come back and reread it in the fall. Cause there was just like so much. So when Luke put this together, it was like absolute perfect timing <laughs> to revisit it. So it's been a great couple of weeks and really grateful for you uh, taking the time. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And uh, I appreciate you guys reading the book and uh, 27 pages of notes. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of dying to see the one pager. That, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. I'll fall down to that too. Yeah. Um, well, Doug, we, you can see the chat, correct? Um, yeah. even, okay, great. Um, we just dropped a bunch of questions into the chat. Let's 
Let's start with uh, the question I dropped in that, that Jeff submitted on the form. Um, I must admit, actually, the only question I see is Scott's. I must okay, come in cool. after yours. Yes, in. so that's okay. Let me, let me resend some of these questions so that you can see them. And yeah, the second one that I send is actually the one I'd love to, to start with about fast feedback versus focused mm -hmm. feedback. Coach Jeff said, how do you balance focused feedback versus fast feedback? If I'm trying to give feedback on one error, but in the meantime, see another one that really needs addressing, should I stay with the first one to not overload working memory or try also addressing the second one so that the feedback isn't too far away by the time I get to it? Yeah, I think, I think that is like the challenge of coaching, right? You're talking about something and, you know, you just keep seeing things you want to fix. Uh, and in some ways, you know, the higher your expectations and the more you want for your players, the more you notice. And I think this is like the, I mean, look, I don't know for sure to answer to any questions. You know, you guys live with coaching a lot more than I do, but my, my gut is that like the core challenge is the self-discipline of staying with the issue that you started with and making progress on it. And it's, it's one of the reasons, um, you know, I was, I was working with a, a coach of, a, of an NBA summer league team. And we were talking about how much feedback his guys were getting because in addition to him, the coach, there are like six other guys standing around coach. So any, anytime anyone does something, if someone is telling them do it differently, you're doing it right. You're doing it wrong. Think about this, think about that. Uh, and so there's just like sensory overload. And one thing we were saying was just like, have, give people a place to write things down. One of the reasons why people say things to athletes so constantly is because they have no other way to track and communicate the things that they're observing. So it's either like use it or lose it. And I think that if you give yourself a way to capture it, so you can come back to it later at a more opportune time, I know that, you know, that this in some ways, or at least teach the concept sometime later. I know that that kind of contradicts the idea of fast feedback, but I guess I would say, fast feedback or shorten the feedback loop with the thing you're focused on. Cause I just think that, um, that it's really easy to get distracted, not follow through, have athletes not follow through, have athletes get the message that the purpose isn't really to follow through on a concept. And I just think you make more progress going one, going like really make now in one thing and really getting understanding of it and then going on to the next thing even though it seems like you go faster if you could just drop one more thing in there. So I think I'm, um, you know, I mean, I, the, the other quote I fall back on in the book all the time is it depends, but I think given the choice, I'm more on the side of like, let's stay with focus. Let's stay with focus. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's stay on the topic of, of feedback and coach Jeff actually submitted another question. Uh, during live play, what role should a coach play in terms of feedback? Is any feedback good or does it all distract from players focus on playing? Maybe I'll throw out some rules of thumb and then you guys can develop them and add to them because you guys do this more than I do. Um, my sense is that a lot of things that coaches say during live play, we're talking about live play in a game. Yeah. Yep. I think a lot of things that coaches say are more harm than good are distracting or cause players to have to ignore them. I think you can, I think what you can do is remind players of things that you've practiced before that you know that they know really well with language that you've encoded in the training. So if you talk about um, closing players down, right. Uh, and as they're learning to do that, you know, you use that phrase over and over again. So you're sure guys remember it. Then I think you can use, I think it's better to use it. Not when you're coaching someone who's actually actively on the ball, but to coach them at down points, ideally got to get tighter, got to close them down. Like when, you know, when the, when the ball is out of, out of play, but I think realistically there are times when you just, something is so wrong. Someone's so open that you have to sort of, try to make a fix. And in that case, I would, I would, so I would try and do it infrequently and I would try to focus on things that I know players understand exactly what I'm telling them to do with language that they understand. I was at one of my daughter's soccer tournaments a couple of weeks ago. The outside back is, you know, totally in the wrong position. She's way too far away from the center backs, but the coach is shouting from the sidelines, stay connected, stay connected. I'm sure he thinks that that phrase is really clear. 
I am sure that the player had absolutely no idea what he meant by stay connected. So in this case, like he's telling her to do something that she doesn't, she has to know it intuitively. Like she has to know it without thinking about it to, to be able to do it for it to be helpful to her. I'm sure that she didn't. So in addition to it, not solving the problem now, she's like trying to think about what this means and trying to listen to the coach. And, um, and I think it made the disaster worse. And what would you guys add to that or push back on there? Or? I had a, I had a thought as you were saying that it, it struck me that this is something I heard a coach say a long time ago. And I don't know, if, you know, specific to basketball, I don't know if you would have any thoughts on this, that like the idea of live feedback might be more valuable as a coach providing it to your team when your team is on defense, where mm-hmm. perhaps like, uh, well, I guess they do offense. Like you're not trying to clutter them as much. Like you want it to be a little bit more, you know, playing and flowing, whereas defense, there might be a little bit more of value. I don't know if that strikes you as something that would be logical or if that, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think the decisions that you make on defense, I think they're, I'll, throw, I'll try a pet theory on you. I think the decisions that you make on defense are slower and more tactical. You know, essentially you are, um, the decisions that we tend to try to make players make when they're in, on offense, they're like, shoot, pass, you know, which is like in that moment, it's, it comes and goes in a fraction of a second. At least in the game of soccer, like we would say something like press high, like, you know, push out, you know, we'd be talking basically about tactical adjustments, which I think happen on this. There are fewer, it's fewer decisions. They happen a little bit more slowly. I think you're more likely to be able to make an adjustment without disrupting players. I'd still be cautious, but actually I think there's something to what you're saying there that just like, um, you know, you, there would probably be an equivalent when you have the ball, it might be like, you know, you want, you want your guys to like push up the wing, you know, push up the wings and get, get as wide as possible. So you might like spread, you might say something like spread the court, which is more like a tactical thing than, um, than an instant momentary decision thing. But I guess, that, I guess I think the ratio of tactical positional things tends to be higher in defense than it, than it does in offense. Mm-hmm. Coach Scott, you want to ask this, your question? Or, go sorry, ahead, I was yeah. just going to ask whether you bought that, Jeff, or, <laughs> or whether you're skeptical. Well, yeah, no, I, I do think there's something to it. I think, uh, yeah, because when I when I was, yes, I, to, your, to your point, I do think there is something to the fact that uh, there might be a little bit more value to feedback during the defensive possession, part of possession than offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Coach Scott, you want to ask your question about individual feedback? Well, I'll go back to you know what Jeff said and Doug. I wrote down a couple of just being able to have any kids um, know what you what you mean when you de- when you're saying those words, like having a definition. Uh, so in cross country again, I'm trying to. I think there's space for this for individual sports. It's just kind of pinpointing uh, some of these things and taking them. Um, but it, so you say like, all right, kid doesn't know what stay connected means. Well, something that I've really pushed on in our in our races is staying relaxed all right what is relaxed mm-hmm. like well, as soon as the gun goes off like kids are darting out of a cannon right and so stay relaxed stay relaxed mm-hmm. and what that look like and talking with luke and we did an interval day this last couple of yesterday and it's like all right stay relaxed you know keeping what does that mean what does that look like and so defining those things uh in practice of what that looks like sounds like feels like for the kid um so that when you get to the race and you hear a coach yelling you know stay relaxed you know you know what that means uh through your face through your arms through your you know posture all that good stuff um i think that's really smart because we're most i think we're most likely to overlook the lack of clarity about the things that we tell kids when we're talking to them about the psychosocial right like it seems so obvious like what do i mean by relax i just mean relax right but actually First of all, nothing, nothing may, will make my daughter tenser on the field than her coach yelling at her to relax. She'll be like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> um, so I think this is really insightful, which is like, we don't think of psychosocial things as needing definition, but actually if I, if I thought this was important, I think I would want to do things like, okay, I was a really bad runner, but like when I would run, di- like when I would run distance and I, and I tried to get myself to relax, so I, I would think about like letting my wrists be hang loose when I'm running or even just like smiling a little bit or like a hint of a smile. And I think that one, you want everything that is expected should be defined, right? So if I'm going to expect you to, I should define it for you. But also like 
the presumption that even if I want that I know how to relax, like the most useful thing is like, okay, so I'm really tense in a situation that makes me nervous and stressed and my body's working really hard and you're yelling at me to relax and I want to relax, but like, so I should have practiced this, right? We should practice running relaxed and I should tell you some things to try. And then I should let you try some things and you tell me how they went and say, now I, now I tie the bow and I say, great. When you hear me say before the starting line, relax, you now know the list of things, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's smile, maybe it's your wrist. Maybe you figured out something doing this thing, but that's what you've got to like remind yourself what those things are. Like, I just think that that's, I think it's really insightful to point out the vocabulary gap, which is massive everywhere is especially we're just most likely to overlook it. The psychosocial. Yeah. And I think, you know, it goes back, go back to, I think a Will Ferrell and old school, like how you say it as well. So if I'm screaming at a kid, bang in the chair on the wall like we need to keep our composure right it's yeah. all right all am i saying like all right you have four thousand five hundred meters left in the race make sure you relax like you don't want to over expel your, or spend yourself right now like stay relaxed there's a lot of race left right and yeah I, I like what you said too the having tools like in practice of all right what does that mean like all right it's a hint of a smile or just we talk about like a posture reset so yeah. Uh, when you get tired, you, you know, your posture goes to crap. So having that little, all right, reaching up posture reset. All right. That means that you're relaxed um, and what that means and, and how that goes. So no, that's really good. Do you ever try coded language? I just, I wonder about like, um, you know, sometimes you tell a player relax or runner, you know, relax. And, and I think it's easy to also having a private conversation in front of a lot of other people and it reveals things about them and, so, so sometimes I have, I have experimented with and wonder about experimenting with like coded language. Like I wouldn't actually use this example, but it's the only one I can think of right now, which is like, I had a friend who joked about when he got stressed, he would run like a duck. And so like, so you might be like, don't be a duck. Like, you know, like what's the alternative to being a duck? Be a swan. I don't know. So you like, so if you basically like, when I tell you to be it like to relax, I'm going to tell, I'm going to remind you about ducks and swans. Um, I'm, you know, it could be that that only draws down more of your working memory and only distracts you more. It also could be that like coding the message so that it's private and only to you makes it, um, I think with some athletes that, that could work better. Like I just, uh, I'm just, I'm curious yeah. to know what you, you, what you think about that. So, yeah. I know that's a great point. So I have a freshman runner who I have three freshmen in my top five. So it's a really young team. Oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then a sophomore. Uh, and so it's learning about them. So one of them yesterday is really funny. They two of them ran next to each other and just, they started, she started snapping. Mm. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you snapping during the workout? Like, well, she's like, well, I got to find the cadence. And so when she's running, mm. like she's snapping her fingers. And I'm like, okay. Like, and so you think about like, all right, a duck. So much you could do with that. Yeah. You'd be like, Hey, rhythm. Like, yeah, Yeah, your rhythm and your cadence and just, it's keeping her, I guess, relaxed that, all right, this interval is going to be hard, but you know, I'm snapping along to it and it goes by a lot faster. So yeah, like that's, that's, (laughs) that gives me a lot of, I I like that because like you're kind of picking up on something that she's already using to, to cue herself. So rather than like you're inventing a cue, like she's basically done your homework. She's done a lot of the homework for you, but this is the cue that helps me like find my rhythm. And so um, some sort of like code that basically reminds her of the like, I noticed you snapping. I think that's actually really smart. That's a totally great coping strategy when you're struggling, use your snaps. And if you're okay, like I'm going to remind you, like, and I'll say like, I'll say snaps or I'll say the name of, you know, Casey in the sunshine. I don't know. Like I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something that, like you, I think one of the things is you can, some kids would like be distracted by you're trying to use humor with them in a moment like that. But some kids, like I'm, I'm guessing in a sport like cross country, where there are a lot of like type A athletes who are pretty high, strong and like, over, you know, well, there's no such thing as an overachiever, but achievement oriented kids, like loosening them up a little bit with some, um, like a, a code that includes some humor. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That coded language. It's Yeah it can be definitely be very individualized. Again, I have a, I have a fairly, I say small team. I have 30 kids this year and usually I'm in the forties, fifties, sixties up 
85. And so getting that as individualization, I guess this goes back to my question that I had was, um, you know, generalizing feedback or giving feedback, uh, generalizing it for the whole group, but then being able to watch it, um, watch each individual person and trying to pick out the little coded language thing. It's really, it's tough to do in an hour and a half, two hour practice. So yeah, that's really true. Um, well, especially because I'm just thinking about I'm questioning some of the things I wrote in the book. Because, I, I, you know, in a group invasion game, there are individual things that players do, but there are also sort of there's a group dynamic, right? We can, like, not be cycling the ball quickly enough, and the speed of ball movement is really important, and it's something that's relative to all of us. But you don't really have stuff like that in cross-country, right? It's not like we're, like, not, you know running in formation, right? Like it's, you're, they're, they're, it's really, it's fundamentally individual. I'm sure there are times when like you're teaching things like stride where maybe you can do batch feedback, but for the most part, much higher weight on individualized things. And I would just say, I guess like much higher weight on psychosocial. Again, that could be a misunderstanding of how technical cross country is. I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that, but it seems like a much higher portion of it is just the straight mental part of like making yourself run as fast as you can swallowing the fear that I can't do that. You know, I'm like, I've gone out too fast. I can't do this. Whatever, you know, whatever else the, uh, the psychosocial battles are <laughs> of runners, which I, you know, much more than me. So, um, so is the question sort of like, so how do I deal with that logistically yeah. with 35 yeah. kids? And it's really hard to be like, okay, everyone needs to, like, everyone needs to relax. And <laughs> Right. Or everyone needs right. to like lengthen their stride when it's actually like everyone has, or there's no shared endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. Picking it out for a kid and, and individualizing and saying, well, you know, for Susie, snapping really works for her. Or, yeah. or and is that in the moment or is it afterwards and say, all right, you know, you know, yeah. Sally did, what did you do? How did you combat the, how did you push to strengthen your will today? I wonder if there's a part of it that you could put more on the, on the athletes themselves. In other words, say, look, we're running today and we're going to talk about the psychological challenge of like the moment when you're pushing yourself hard and you're um, not sure that you can, you know, not sure you can stay. So you're having this mental battle with yourself of like, I should back off my pace a little bit. I don't think I can make it. Uh, and I'm going to like, we're going to try to, we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to try and get right. We're going to run out fast. And then I'm going to try and like, and I want you to pay attention to what you, I want you to experiment with things that you tell yourself or things that you do to get yourself. And, and I want you to reflect on it. And afterwards when we're done, I'll give you 30 seconds to reflect. You'll talk to a partner. I'll ask them of your thought. Like I just, I wonder if there's a way to create space for, I, I think that in a I've never run cross country, but I, I used to run a lot. And I think so much of it is actually like you're creating space for the internal dialogue that an athlete basically has to like figure out for themselves. I think the answer is different for everybody. It's like, you know, it's whatever phrase you say to yourself when you're like, I have to keep running until that line of trees in the distance. And like, that's my goal. Um, and then if the answer is truly different for everyone, which I think it probably is maybe all your, you know, like, your biggest job is to like one, create some space for it to happen. I want you to reflect on this. I want you to have a conversation with yourself. I want you to share a conversation with someone else afterwards. And I want to at least boil the pot so you hear some other ideas that other people have. So that you, like, where do the phrases that you use, like the, there's a phrase that I used to use when I was a runner, which is like, let your mind make your body strong, which is like, convince yourself that you're strong, not that you're weak. And I think that I got that from running with someone else once. Or he's just like, I write like, and I'm feeling like this. And I was like, oh, I stole that phrase from him, which I think is where you get a lot of your stuff. Mm -hmm. So if there's this kind of just like idea sharing and pot boiling, maybe you increase the likelihood that kids hit on some, some psychological tricks. You know, I, I know none of us are mental performance coaches here or sports psychologists, but in some of the conversations I've had with some, I think that what they would probably say here is the power. And a lot of the things we just talked about is helping athletes stay in or come back to the present moment. Mm -hmm. And with those encoded language, with some of those self-talk things, 
helping them develop some of those skills to stay present or to come back to that present moment. And yeah, like if we can have some keywords that bring them back there, I think that, I think that can be really powerful too. Um, let's, let's do this. Uh, and, and Doug, I know I, I tried to email this to you, but I don't think it worked at all. Um, I have about a four minute film clip uh, oh, great. from coach Jeff's practice. Um, I'd love if we watched it together and then after now I'm in my happy place. Yeah. 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 Let's watch this film. Doug, you can give feedback. We can ask some questions. Um, I think this will be really fun. Coach Jeff, thanks a ton for yeah. uh, sharing the film sure. and it's about five minutes. Um, Doug, do you have a preference as far as like, just watch it all the way through pause it at a point? That's great. Maybe um, can Jeff just orient us for 30 seconds. Like here's what's happening. Uh, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm interested in thinking about. Yeah. And then maybe then we can watch it in. Um, I feel like five minutes is a lot to process. Maybe we can watch it for like, if there's a natural break, like two minutes in and another, like if we can break sure. it up once or sure. twice, I just, yeah. Um, working memory gets overloaded. I think at about three minutes with video. So sweet. That sounds great. Jeff, go for it. Well, I, I'm going to need to see exactly where you're at. Cause I, I know I sent you the full, this the is full about, time. this is about 20 minutes into practice. Okay. Let me just get a sense for right here. And you guys can hear Do you want, it. You right? can also, you can also like roll it and Jeff, you know, and Jeff can then say pause when he's ready and just tell us what's going on. When he... okay. Yeah. Let me just get a quick sense of You're setting up constraints, right? If you cut through the middle of the paint, it's a turnover. Yeah, so well, we were working on some things offensively where we were uh, we were working on one thing we did different this year. Technically, was we weren't cutting to the basket. We were supposed to be cutting like kind of at an angle towards the corners, and this was early in the year, and we were struggling with that. So, uh, was trying to yes yeah, set up a couple constraints to one deal with that, and then the second one was just holding the ball and. So like being trying to get us to be a little bit more decisive when we caught the ball as opposed to catching it, holding, and then trying to figure out what we were going to do. Mm. So like know where you're going when you get the ball. Correct. Cool. So we were doing this thing uh, off what I was yelling in the shot was I was yelling tag. We were trying to do this uh, offensive rebounding system called tagging up. And, um, you know, so I think that uh, I see a plus and minus to the way I did it in the sense that uh, I think the reminder was helpful for them. But then I also think a drawback was that they became a little reliant on the reminder. And so that was kind of what I was attempting to do was trying to remind them of, to do that um, anytime we shot the ball. Oh, Doug, I think you muted. Yeah, sorry. What's the action you want them to take when they shoot the ball off on so the offensive it up. So the idea would be that you go to the each offensive player. Like a lot of times, you'd see like a player's getting back on defense. Like we want to go to what we would call the high side, like towards the inside of the guy who's boxing us out. To one, hopefully we can get an offensive rebound. Or two, if he, if our if our man gets the rebound, we're matched up right there on him, and we're up ready to guard him going the opposite direction. Got it. 
keep watching a little bit more or any thoughts right here? Did you have particular things that you, why you chose this Luke or Jeff, do you have specific questions? Cause I can, I, I, I chose it mainly because I thought that there were some interesting things that we could discuss around um, feedback in this clip. And yeah, um, I'll just share, I'll share one observation from the start. And Doug, if you want to hop in or, or Jeff, if you want to share anything, one of the things, and I've watched the whole clip, so cheating a little bit, but Jeff, one of the things that struck me was I think that your feedback might have been more effective if you weren't running the drill. I think you have two assistants in there with you. And like after the first or second rep, kind of as there was rotating, you were kind of delivering some feedback to the team that was going off. My thought was, what if you were on the baseline watching, observing, and and giving some of that feedback to them as they were coming off um, and letting one of those assistants actually run the game? That was one that I had. So like, you mean like the kind of like the procedural parts of it you're talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah it's, it's funny you said that because I literally about 20 minutes ago, I, I deleted it, but I was typing a question in the box for Doug about like during a practice, how you would best envision the use of your assistance uh, so that it's not like you said, six guys talking to somebody at once, like an NBA summer league game, but that, I mean, Luke, I really like that idea, but that instead you're adding value to both what, you can provide as a head coach and also what they can do as, a, as assistants. I think it's real those are Luke, I think it's a great observation and Jeff, I think it's a great question. Um, my initial thoughts are really, really like this suggestion Luke, that um, this is like, I used to, um, when I ran schools, I used to, um, as the equivalent of like the superintendent and a bunch of principals reported to me. And the most powerful thing that we did was when they would run a meeting with like a leadership team or the staff and it was to have someone else run the logistics of the meeting and they just like listened and added value and made comments that were about content. And they were blown away by how much of their working memory was focused on like telling the green team to those, it's, you know, like to come out to the top and it's their turn to get the ball. And like, you don't realize it, but you're spending your working memory on one thing, one of your assistant coaches would feel meaningful if they were running the drill and they, but also your focus could you could watch better and your focus would be more on the things you want them to do which i think i think you'll probably be surprised if you tried it how much value it unlocked for you and how interesting it was and how freed you were from just the logistics of having to telephone yeah, right yeah. now yeah. i mean the other thing about it not only was it helpful for the principals but they loved it they were like you know um I don't have to like keep track of time anymore and like make sure everyone's talking and like get back, you know, bring back people back to the point, like someone else did that. And I could just be like, you have your insights about the game of basketball, are the most valuable thinking out there. And so you, you want to maximize the value of that. Mm -hmm. Then to your question, Jeff, I think it's actually really valuable to divide roles for coaches. Again, like I think it makes a coach feel, feel really meaningful to tell them, I want you to watch the defense really closely. I want you, I want you to watch the um, uh, offensive rebound. I want you to, you know, want, and I want you to, I want you to call pause when you see someone not doing it or doing it really well so that we can act like, it helps so you see more, it helps you see more well, but it also makes your assistants feel important. And it's, but I, I'd say like if people have different roles, then you can look for different things. Yeah. Now, would this be in line with that? Because one of the things that as we went along last year that I tried to do more of, and it may be in line with what you guys are talking about, was like when we would scrimmage at practice, I would have our two assistants each coach a team. And, mm -hmm. then, and then to your point, it would kind of free me up to like pick and choose what it was that I wanted to focus on rather than worry yeah. about like subbing somebody in or this, that, or the other. And, and I would even say in this example right here, Jeff, give one of your assistants the ball, let them run the game, yeah. give the, give the other one the responsibility for reminding and observing for tagging up. And then you focus on something else. Yep. yep. And like, and, and that coach that's not running the game knows like, Hey, you're just focused on tagging up. I want you to give that reminder. And like, if you see, you know, as, as a kid comes off to rotate that didn't do it, um, maybe like ask him a question to get him to consider that. Any thoughts, or, Doug? I, I love that. An alternative version of the same idea would be 
you want to coach the tagging up because it's so important. So the other coach's job is to coach the defense to make sure that like they're playing, like, you know, they're playing hard enough. They're in position, they're creating the right obstacle or just like coaching his coaching effort. I just like when, when you tell the coach to coach the other team, his tendency is going to be to like make it like a game and to over talk. And so I just think I want to like set some expectations about what I mean when I tell you to coach the team during, because like you don't want him to crowd out players capacity to listen to you you don't want him to over talk you want him to deliver value strategically so i might just be like i want you to coach the other team i want you to like coach effort first i want you to make sure they're hustling and i want you to like just remind them about about positioning because they have to be stepping out for us to be able to be tagging up or you know whatever the yeah that makes sense mm, that's good let's watch a couple more minutes of this and then we can um yeah have some more questions and thoughts Pause for a second. We're still working on, uh, sorry, it's called tagging, tagging up, tagging high. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I'm looking at your guys on the baseline there and they're kind of watching the game, but they're watching kind of passively. And I just think like one of the things you're describing is you want guys to be self-aware and to be looking for things as well. So I might, like one thing you might do here also is give them a task to watch for, which is each of you are watching one of the guys on, on offense and I want you to be ready to, when I pause for you to be, to tell me how they're doing, how they did to critique, I don't, you know, and I want you to watch for tagging up and body position constantly because they're, they're just watching like it's a game and like who yeah, broke whose ankles or whatever. So I, th I think they could, there's an opportunity to have them just be more attentive to the right things. Yeah, sure. Or you could, sorry, what you could also like, yeah, never mind. Keep going. <laughs> Pause for one second. Uh, the young man you just spoke to there, Julian, is that what his name is? Yes. Yep. Uh, and you told him, you said, when you cut, do you mind? Can you just play that again, Luke? Yeah. Just tell me about that, the feedback that you're giving him a little bit there. Okay, so as I'm, as I'm remembering it, like it goes back to the kind of the constraint I tried to put in at the beginning that we shouldn't be cutting kind of through the middle of the paint. We should be cutting on a straight line to the corner. And if, if, I'd have to go back and watch what he did again, but based on the feedback I gave him, I'm guessing that he kind of looped his cut through the middle of the paint and then, and then ended up at the corner as opposed to kind of going on a straight line. Yeah. I think it's it sounds like really good technical feedback. I think I might... I just wonder how much he's, I think this might be the type of situation where he needs to see the situation where you need to recreate the situation that he was in. And so he can see, cause he knows that you, you wanted to make cuts, but clearly he doesn't, the theoretical need to make cuts directly to the basket is not translating in certain situations. 
So this might be a, a case where I might try and mix in a stoppage where I'm like, pause. Julian, you know, and I recreate the guys. Julian, you have the ball here. What do you see? What do you notice? Or, you know, like, um, or this is what your cut looked like. What do you notice about it when I, when I look like you? What should be different about it? Great. Can you, now I want, when I, now I'm going to give you the ball, you're going to start live. Or I was just watching a coach do this. He'll be like, when Julian gets the ball, he's live. When I drop my hand, um, it's live. Green team can start defending. So I can just give him like a half second to get a step. And they're like, Julian, I want you to see, I want to see you execute the cut off this. Just to let him, one, associate the guidance that you're giving him with a visual cue that, with the visual cue that he should have been reading to see the opportunity and two, to give him the chance to like correct it as opposed to just hear it. Yep. Okay. Cause he's kind of like walking off. He's not getting a chance to do it again. And so he's like, I know that I did it wrong. I kind of, I just think it would, it would stick more if maybe this was a, yep. And I think the other guys would like, you know, if you stop it and everyone's looking at it, I think the guys, the other guys would learn more from the stoppage a little bit too. That's good. I really like the, um, the tone of your feedback, by the way, like it's really measured technical you know like there's a level of expectation and intensity but you're not like you're not shouting at the boys right i just think that they my sense of it is that they hear you well because it's just like the measured uh it's hard to like measure but but muscular toned <laughs> what you're telling i think that it's like i think they probably feel like respect and clarity about it but not shouted at which is good Can I ask a question, Jeff? Yeah. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being your ideal level for a practice, where would you rate the like, intensity of the practice or energy level? Uh, I would say, I think that the kids on the court are playing hard. I'd say six, seven. I think the kids on the court effort is good. I think that, uh, you know, you get an interesting perspective watching it. Like I'd like to get, like, I think the guys who are not on the court are to what kind of what Doug said before. I think that they are not disengaged. I think they're attentive, but not as engaged as I'd like them to be. So I think that's something that even to your point earlier of like, you know, perhaps having somebody else run the drill and you, I could be more located with those guys. I could see a bit of value in that, how that could raise that. So I would say, I think they're doing a solid job, but I think there's certainly some areas there that, you know, could be improved. Yeah that that's one of the, one of the things I was thinking was, I think that it would change if you weren't running the drill. And then the second thing is I heard you say it a few times, like you wanted quick transitions, but right. one of the things that kind of killed your transitions was the feedback that you were giving yeah. in the middle you know, of those. It, it, it's really funny. You said that because like, I really do like, I think generally do, I think I generally do a pretty decent job of that, but I'm seeing that in this clip too, that it's like, it's hard to have the quick transition. And that I think is like, goes back to the question that I started with, with Doug. It's like, what I really find hard sometimes is like, you know, like you see something and you feel the need to address it, but then it gets in the way of, of doing. So like, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, but I definitely agree with what you're, with your observation. Yeah. The only thing that I would say, yeah. Like if someone else is running the drill and then as far as like one really practical thing that I use to speed up transitions is if we're doing like a very similar game to this four and four cutthroat or something like that and they don't rotate quickly i'll just say hey go back yeah. to where you were like let's rotate again more quickly this time let me see that go and, and just saying yes that's what we're looking for so yeah that's just like one little tip that i use doug any thoughts or follow-ups on that 
Yeah, I, I really like the suggestions about uh, about just like engaging player. Uh, your thoughts about engaging the players on the sidelines a little bit more, speeding up your transitions. Um, it seems like in this game you rotate after every basket scored. Was that um, close yeah, to? Yeah, I, I think you were having some sort of scoring system. I honestly haven't even paying close enough attention that if you score, you stay. It's a, we're playing. I think we're playing here. If you score, you stay on. It could be yeah. a stop, you stay on. But honestly, I haven't paid close enough attention as we've been watching that. I like a system like that because it incentivizes, you know, effort and hustle, which is guys want to stay on the court. I might think about like, there are a lot of, there's a lot, the ratio of transition to play is fairly high. Uh, so in addition to like trying to speed up transitions, like reducing the number of transitions, it might be worth thinking about like um, making it up to three or three baskets, you know, like uh, three baskets versus three stops so that there's just a little bit more continuity. And when you say things to guys, they get more of a chance to like do it again right away. I was just thinking about Julian again, like even if he didn't do the stoppage, like you give him feedback, you want him to hopefully get a chance to do it again right away. But when he heard the feedback, he then went still in the baseline for, for 30 yeah. seconds before he came back in. So maybe my sequence, maybe I want to think about, can I keep the competitiveness, um, have one of the assistant coaches keep score, you know, and like announce the score loud so that it's like fairly competitive. It's up to three, it's up to five. So the, I keep the competitiveness, maybe there's slightly fewer transitions. Yeah. So play. Yeah, that's good. You could even, and Jeff, you could even do that like a best of three. Like we're going to play three cutthroat positions here. Yeah. If offense wins two, they stay. If defense wins two, they stay. I like yeah. that. I, I think that's a really insightful idea. I think you also said earlier, by the way, that like you lose points or gain points for technical actions. And that might be a great thing to like have the coaches. Well, I'm just looking at the assistant coaches down here kind of wanting to be yep. important. And so maybe they're looking for that and they can call out to like point to Casey for, you know, great boxing out or whatever that like, um, yep. they can be, they can, they can, a lot of the like scoring logistics are great things for assistant coaches to handle. Yeah. Well, let's watch this last like 50 seconds of the clip. Just talk us through that moment there where you where you stop you said to him where's this where's this where's the slot? Oh, just a, it's just a spacing spot that we try to use offensively and we had okay. a real tendency to especially early in the year to get too wide and when we put a fifth player on the floor mm. uh, a lot of times that would kind of jam up our spacing so uh, I was just trying to remind him of where he needed to be great so you just wanted you wanted him high, tighter and more, closer to me like more towards yeah. the middle of the floor Great. I might just, the only thing I, I, I like that fix there, because uh, you basically asked him what to do and he fixed it. I might just give him the ball back there. So he experiences playing from the slot, right? Just like deep, more, more deeply encode the memory of being in the right place. Gotcha. It felt a little bit like I was out of position. I didn't know where the slot was. He gave the ball to someone else. Like I missed my, missed my chance a little bit, which is like, yeah, I, I get that. Mm, that's good. And that's where I clipped it. Looks like I clipped it a little too soon. But yeah, any other questions, thoughts, Doug, that you have, Jeff, that you have? Well, my thought is just that, you know, uh, it is really just the experience of watching yourself is really valuable. You know, like when I watch myself now, there's things that a lot, I mean, the stuff that you guys have said, I mean, I've been taking all these notes on what you guys have said, and it's been really helpful. And then just watching myself, I'm, I, I see things that, you know, that I wasn't aware of, you know, so I, I really think, and I know, Doug, you mentioned this in the book, like recording yourself. I mean, to me, like just watching this now, like, I, and I probably since the season, since early in the season, haven't gone back and watched the whole thing. And I'm, I'm going to do that now because I do see a lot of, I, mean, I, I can already see a bunch of stuff. So I think that in and of itself has a lot of value. 
Yeah. Um, well, I, we've gone later than I anticipated. It's like nine 20 my time. Um, Doug, do you, do you need to hop off? Got, I think Chris has got an observation. Yeah, I got a minute. Yeah. 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 Um, go for it, Chris. Uh, real quick, uh, Jeff, first of all, thank you very much for providing that. It's been very helpful, I think, for everybody here. Um, in regards to creating the competition, you guys spoke about obviously keeping score or uh, focusing on certain things. Uh, Doug, what is your feeling on, you know, uh, keeping score, we'll say, I know some teams, some call it the competitive culture in or whatever it is about keeping score, uh, you know, throughout the whole day, because obviously, and, and over time, you obviously have rankings, stuff like that. And in some cases, some people may use that for starting or something like that. Um, uh, obviously, there's going to be kids that are going to be on the lower end of that. Um, where do you, how do you think psyche-wise that, that, that is with yeah. the team, I guess? Yeah, it's great. Those are great questions. I think I have two thoughts. I don't know if these will answer your questions. And um, I don't know if there is a definitive answer, but I think the purpose of keeping scores to, is to try to build competitiveness, to try and make players compete their hardest by building stake and getting them comfortable with the idea of competing, right? Some kids are more comfortable with that than others. And so if they have some stake in the game and they want to win or they want to stay on the, on the court on the court and play more, I want, I want there to just be incentives to give your best. You know, every athlete should do that anyway, but it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to just like to build a habit out of it. So I don't want to overdo it. You know, I'm not sure that I want to make it permanent. I don't, I don't know that I would be, I'm sure there are arguments for like tracking it all and like keeping track of it over time and keeping mostly, I just want kids to feel like they've got some stake and they want to play hard. I think that it's most valuable when, like I, I, was, um, I was talking about this with a coach that when I'm, I want to be careful about it when I'm installing something. So let's say like I'm installing a piece of our new offense. Um, and the last call I was, I was talking about watching uh, Joe Missoula do this with um, his summer league team at, at Celtics. And he's this play called pistol, right? And when he's explaining them the different variations of movements off pistol, I don't think he wants to be keeping score because he really wants their focus on learning and understanding how and the details of how. Once they understand pistol and they've got it down, then the goal is to build memory of it, right? I want it to, then the first case I'm building understanding and the second case I'm building memory. And what I want is for it to come out quickly and easily under pressure, remember it really well, remember it with distractions, remember it when I'm feeling competitive. And in those cases, I think now I want to start, when I'm, when I'm going from like knowledge and understanding to memory and rehearsal, that's when I think I want to include stake and I want to make it really competitive and introduce, you know, like this sounds really simple, like they were playing music throughout the whole practice at this Celtics practice that I watched. And I was like, I would have the music playing when I'm trying to work on memory. Distraction is great. Intensity is great. When I want them, when we're just learning and we want to focus on pistol, I want to eliminate distractions. So like there was a section where they would do pistol and then after they made the cut that they're supposed to make, like someone, another coach would throw them a ball and they'd have to shoot a three-pointer. And I'm like, that's great. All those distractions and complexities of like when you're building memory, I just want to, I want to, I want to use those things when I'm building memory and not just trying to get like focused understanding there. I want attention on, on the details of play. So I think I would, scoring is useful for stake and I would use it when I'm building memory and not when I'm working as much on understanding. Sorry for the long-winded long-winded not quite answer to your questions <laughs> it was perfect thank you i appreciate that yeah that's fantastic uh, doug do you want to hear their biggest takeaway from the book um if you, you need time, that would be, no no I'm, I'm good my my wife and girls are away so yeah, okay well i'm good if you got coaches if you want it's just to me here it's just me here and ted last so. <laughs> yeah no joke that's, that's a good thing to hang out with maybe you should just stay up till uh midnight hits and you can watch the next episode right uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, if you guys don't mind, me, it, it's useful for me to know what resonated and what to be thinking more about uh, as I revise it. So if you have a single takeaway, I'm grateful to hear it. And thank you all, by the way, for reading it. And double thanks to you, Jeff, for sharing the video of your session. I'll go. <laughs> um, uh, I'm newer to coaching. On, um, I'm, I'm, I'm 
applied for a new job. Uh, well, technically my first job, I've been coaching youth for a while, but uh, I've really gotten into in regards to learning this. Uh, obviously there's a lot here. This book club has been very helpful. Um, so far, honestly, and it's really, I don't know, rung a bell in my head. It's been the encoded language thing and, 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 and during games and in regards to obviously what you're yelling out isn't helping. And I've read that multiple times. Like you, they're not taking anything in. Like I can yell all day and they're not understanding it. But if you've worked on it in practice and they hear it in practice, they know what it is. Um, you know, I think uh, I've heard somebody use like the, uh, the helpline, they call it the wall. Um, you know, simple thing, you know, if you're out calling out to, you know, John, get on the wall, you know, when he's on the opposite side, you know, two passes away or et cetera, stuff like that. Something that triggers, they know exactly where to go, what to do. So um, I, you know, I, I know language is important and obviously having that language, but for that, it just, it's just, it's great because it's simplifies things. And I think it's, uh, uh, it's very helpful. Thanks, Doc. I'm glad to know it. Glad to have simplified something in the book. <laughs> I enjoyed the uh, section on the types of questions to ask. I, oh, you know, I think that's really important to become a, a Socratic type of coach. Uh, I've been challenged to, all right, in this practice session, I'm only going to ask questions. And I like that idea of, you know, why did you make that decision? Why did you do this? Well, what did you see? So I liked how you sectioned out all the questions and the different types and what uh, can become of each type of question. So uh, that was that was enjoyable for me. Any particular like if you takeaways from trying to use questions has been, has been challenging sometimes. Any like, what do you think your best question was that you, that you can remember asking? Yeah, just what, what were you doing there? No, I, <laughs> what did you That's see? That's the oldest it's, question in coaching. What the hell were you thinking? What were you doing? Yes, yeah. No, it's, uh, it changed my way of thinking of or saying, you know, all right, what did you see there? Like, mm. and just holding back as much anger and as much as, <laughs> as calmly as I can, just what did you see there and why did you make that decision? Uh, then going back to the tone of that. So, yeah, just what did you see getting to get their point of view and then hopefully elaborating and teaching them <laughs> well if you see this then do this so yeah that's that was the big Scott yeah thanks Doug. appreciate that yeah for me and, and again I would say uh Doug and, and Luke thanks again for for taking time to break on that film but I would say for me it was really uh the idea of working memory and uh the thought that uh even though we feel this urge to try and fix everything that yeah. um to go back to what you said earlier about focus feedback like there's just get one thing right and then get on to the next thing. And uh, you got to, but like have the discipline as a coach, it takes a lot of discipline to do that. And I guess like trying to develop that discipline in myself to, to not want to address every single thing that I see uh, right at that time. I think if there's one quote that people refer to most from the book, it's if you chase five rabbits, you catch none. Just because yeah. I just feel like we constantly are, because we love kids and we want to teach them so much. We're always throwing five rabbits, rabbits at them. And um, yeah, that might be this, you know, I just, yep. it's the human condition of coaches. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I realized like, I don't think I've ever shared my big takeaway. It's kind of similar to, to Jeff's. I think just the, the cognitive science and understanding of the brain that you bring into the book is massively important. And really the things for me, like the concept of working memory, really understanding working memory is just been massively. It's like, it's just illuminating. Like once you, once you're aware of it, it's one of those things you see it, you can't unsee it. Like you see athletes get overloaded or my yeah. students get overloaded. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, their working memory is overloaded. Or I see that my working memory is overloaded. And then I think that's so that. interesting too, because it's so relevant for coaches, not just athletes, but yeah. for coaches too. Yeah. It's like I half saw it all my life. And then suddenly I was like, oh, right. Yeah. And I, and I think too, that connected with that, the, the piece about forgetting and, and some of those things around like interleaving and ways that we can fight forgetting and retrieval lists and these encoded language, like all of them fit together. But I think just 
those things have been such a, such a profound thing for me to think about. And, and often just cause I, it's like, they can be really overlooked in sport, but they're just so essential to learning. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. We've gone, we've gone a bit over time. Um, Doug, any final thought, final word that you would leave these coaches with? Yeah, just to thank you. It's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a ton. I have all sorts of notes for myself from it. So thank you. And I'm just honored that you um, thought the book was worth the time and effort to spend time talking with each other and with Luke about it. So thank you. And um, shout if I can ever be helpful. Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode. And a huge thanks to Doug Lamar for joining us for the Q&A and for Coach Jeff for sharing his film. If you haven't already, go grab a copy of The Coach's Guide to Teaching. It's absolutely fantastic. There's a link to buy the book on Amazon in the show details. And if you want to hear more from Doug Lamov, check out episode one of the podcast or bonus episodes two and three. If you want to join the waitlist for the next round of book clubs, go to cgtbookclubs.com or just click the link in the show details. And if you're interested in signing up for the next cohort, go to transformsport.org cohort or just click the link in the show details. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. 